Welcome to the Grow Your Money Podcast, where we're on a mission to change how we talk about money. Our fireside chats are the heart of our show, bringing the energy and excitement of in-person events straight to your ears. We aim to connect you with inspiring voices and stories that matter, sharing relatable experiences and insights that will transform your financial life. Everyone deserves access to practical financial knowledge. So we're making money conversations relatable by inviting guests from all walks of life to share their real-life experiences with money. But this isn't your typical money show. We look at the emotional, psychological, and cultural factors that shape a relationship with money. So hit subscribe and join us for another episode of the Grow Your Money Podcast. Hello and welcome. I am so excited to be here with you guys today. This is slightly different from the usual Grey Money Challenge stuff we've been doing because uh, part of the Grey Money Challenge is we're trying to make money accessible to anyone that's new to money. And what other way to be new to money than be an immigrant <laughs> that's moving or has experienced, you know, coming to the country from abroad, first, second, third, even fourth generation, it affects you some way or it, it just, you, you, the way you deal with money is different. So really excited about this episode of an immigrant's financial journey in the UK. But I'll start off by doing something interesting. First of all, I'll let you introduce yourselves. And then I'm going to pick on Martin and go slightly deeper to just look at your, your money ethos. And we'll do that using a few bits of a puzzle to figure you out. <laughs> Intriguing. No. Sounds no, daunting. No pressure here. Right? So tell us about you. Who are you? Who is Martin? Yeah. Um, I am, my name is Martin Kalemba, my full name. Um, I was born in Glasgow. Uh, my family moved to live in Uganda, where that's where I traced my African ancestry. Uh, we moved to live in Uganda. I was before I turned five or something like that. So I grew, I grew up in Uganda. Came back to Scotland in 2004, and I've lived in Glasgow ever since. So a whole lot of firsts have happened for me in Glasgow, including a whole lot of my experience with money. This is what? What is this even? Is this? Are you a, an immigrant? Are you like who are you? I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> if for ease, if anyone was to ask me if I'm first generation or anything along those lines, I would say I am first because I grew up. I grew up in in Uganda. I had my very African experience, and uh, in natural conversation around Glasgow, when people ask me where are you from, you know that. That, that question. The standard right? question. Um, <laughs> just, just for laughs, I do say I'm from Glasgow. And they're like, no, you can't be from Glasgow. But it's because, yes, I am, I am authentically African in, in every sense of the way. And uh, so I do, I do present as first, first generation. Yeah. Interesting. Do you know, I had never thought about like whether I'm first, second or third or anything until my kids turned a certain age and they were like, oh, mommy, you're Uganda and I'm not. I was like, wait, how? <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> so what about you, Muna? So I have the opposite story. I was born in Somalia and then my parents moved here when I was just turning five. And interestingly, <clears throat> my dad had uh, been transferred over to London when we moved here, but I had actually come via Senegal and Libya and all these other countries my dad was working in. So all my brothers and sisters are born in different locations. My youngest sister is born here. So she has that, where are you from? And she's, <laughs> and she's like, hello. Um, but yeah, so been living here. And my, my heritage is Somali, obviously, but obviously half of my family is from Kenya as well. Wow. Interesting. And Nina, you, you have a very eclectic Yes. Uh, so my name is Nina Mohanty. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Bloom Money. And I'm an immigrant to the UK from the US, which, you know, we have that special relationship, um, US-UK. But I am doubly immigrant <laughs> in that. So I'm an immigrant to the UK, but my parents immigrated to the US. So I am both first and second generation immigrant. Um, my father's Indian, my mother is Taiwanese. Um, and as I shared previously, my first language is Mandarin. So if you ever need someone to speak Chinese, I'm your gal. 
That is so cool. <laughs> Such a good thing to have. These days, on your CV. these days, very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. So um, we've already asked you this in different um, episodes, but so we'll pick on you, Martin, and try to go under the bonnet of your money personality. If you were to describe your relationship with money using an emoji, which emoji would it be? An emoji? Knowing now what I do as compared to what I knew 18 years ago, I think I would use the wow one. The, okay. One, the open-mouthed one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the one I would choose. And reason being is that I think a whole lot of my... My, my anxieties around, you know, expenditure and investment and, and security and stability have been from a point of ignorance and not knowing how to invest and how best to save or what to spend on. So I think if, if say, I could go back 18 years and look at me now, if I could see into the future, I think I'll go, wow, no wow. need to stress. That this is, is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. So, like, every it was all based on a lack of knowledge. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because my, my experience was that uh, I came, I lived in Uganda, my childhood life, the whole of it. I spent it all in boarding school where we didn't use money at all. Our parents paid for us to be there, and then everything was taken care of. So I didn't handle money. I didn't. And I had my first job in in Scotland when I when I moved over, so all that you know I came from you not know, dealing with it. Of course, you know there was pocket money, school holidays, and things like that to spend on the simplest of things. But I didn't have reason to to invest or to to I, I didn't I didn't earn a living in Africa when I was in Uganda. So coming over, I had to to learn real quick. Right, this is my first job. Right. What do I do with the money? You know, my first bank account, I got that in, in Scotland. So there were so many firsts from that. And not many people to really talk about it with, like, if I'm earning this much today, you know, on a temporary job, what are my summer plans? Do I want to go on holiday? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? So I think I could have spent wiser. I could have done a, a lot of things a whole lot differently. But... A whole lot was too new that it just, uh, it took a minute. Yeah. It took a minute. It takes yeah. a minute. It does take a minute. <laughs> it does take a minute even for people who are born and bred here, to be fair. <laughs> so, yeah. So, moving on to a creative streak then. If you were to design a TikTok about personal finance, what would it be and what would the hashtag be? It would be... Oh man, that's a that's a challenging one. I would I would place it thematically on on investments from the smallest savings. I wouldn't I wouldn't look at big aggregate investments, but say if uh, going back to where I started, that I spent a whole lot of money unwisely because I could on clothes on trips that you know didn't have much value or whatever and whatever I could have foregone I think if those tiny bits of money I could have put aside and invested in in something I think that's the kind of challenge I would put say if it was uh, I don't know I don't know if it even if it was about buying coins or, or stamps or anything like that, that would be my kind of TikTok challenge so that it would attract anybody. Even kids could get on getting on that, you know. Yeah. That, kind of, that would be so awesome. Yeah. And honestly, I think um, you're quite right. Like, we think about investing and we think, it's this big thing, I need, I need 10,000 pounds to invest. Whereas there's stuff you could be investing in that's as little as stamps, mm-hmm. whiskey. These days you can buy yeah. a yeah. barrel of whiskey. You know, there's, there's lots of different things. <laughs> So that would be an awesome, awesome one. And what are your financial goals? What financial goals do you have for this year or the the near future? To increase on my savings discipline. Because I think, yes, I do save, but 
every so often I think I'll I kind of let go. <laughs> We've <laughs> and, all been uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> and I catch myself thinking, what was that? What, 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 yeah. what happened? What <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I want to get out of, uh, of the habit of reviewing, especially my summer experiences and going, what? <laughs> Where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> so every, I, I get into my summertime, you know, I think the winters are easier to, in my, my experience, it's easier to save in the winters because there's not much to do. You're stuck indoors, right? And then summertime comes around and I want to eat out every week. I want, every other day I'm calling for takeaways. I'm going shopping because I like that online. You know, when you, you know, it's just looking online and thinking, oh, I'll have that, I'll have that. And before you know it, money is, is gone. So, yeah, I could do better in the summers. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, this year it's top of my list to see what I do with that. <laughs> One of the things that I think I've, I've learned um, mm -hmm. growing up, because I'm the same, like, I, I love a good life. So I want to, I, I like poshness. I want, I like opulence. Mm -hmm. But what I do is I put as many barriers between me and the money as I can. So if I'm saving... I'll have, make sure, one, it's in an account that's not, I'll not have an app for that account. Then I will not have the card easily available. So I try and do that. Like I try and put all these stops in place. So that by the time I decide to go for that takeaway, it's like, you know what? It's fine. It's, it's not worth fine. it. <laughs> <laughs> too much work. I, I, I too much work. Or too close. It's yeah. always at When it's click. too close, yeah. it's, you're going to, yeah, if you're anything like me. I was, uh, I was telling someone a story about an air fryer, and this air fryer was a need. A need. I'm like, I must have this air fryer. <laughs> and I, I thought, Tina, it's not a need, actually. It's not life or death. You are just, your brain is telling you wrong. It's not a <laughs> I always have that conversation with my kids when we're out shopping or anything, and they go, Daddy, I need these sweeties. I need this chocolate in my life. They are quite dramatic in their expectations. They go, I must have it. I need it right now. I go, no, you don't need it, Stephanie. You don't need it. You just want it. And so they do that to me when I'm going, I must have that bottle of wine. I need to have that glass of wine. And they go, no, Daddy, you don't need it. You don't it. need it. <laughs> A good lesson, oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So now this is open to all of us, uh, and I'd be interested to know because you know you all do different roles. You know, you you work for an organization, you run an organization, you're a, a business owner. Um, how has you know being an immigrant, being new, let's call it new to country, for lack of a better word, because we don't know what Martin is. We're he's an imposter right now, as far as we are aware. We don't know. We don't know what to do with you, but. How has your, your, you know, your growing up and your life um, being new to the place affected or impacted how you view money? Who first? <laughs> yeah, happy to go first. So um, I should introduce myself because I'm amongst friends and I totally <laughs> forgot. So. I'm Rune Yassin, CEO of Fair Money Advice. So um, I think for me it was slightly different because obviously I grew up here. And it was interesting because most immigrants have that issue around their parents don't speak English, potentially they're learning a new language. So I was very lucky in that both of my parents were fluent in English, um, pretty well educated, and had lived in different environments and were able to kind of bring their lived experience to the UK. And so for me, it was a sense of, looking at what was their shared learning from being in different environments and different societies mm -hmm. and also what the English culture was. And so growing up, I think one of the things that was very interesting to me was how aligned my parents' structure around saving, um, making sure that you live within your means, mm -hmm. um, ensuring that you save for a rainy day, actually aligned with the old British culture around don't spend more than you earn um, and making sure that you don't buy things on credit. 
And then as I started to come into my teenage years, the world kind of exploded and there was this credit society and we were very American. Sorry, Nina. This is very interesting. So there was a time when this was not the way? No, there was, there was. And I think the British way actually has been lost because actually mm. there was a very, very focus on actually being um, budgeting, managing your finances well and ensuring that you didn't live beyond your means mm. um, and they prided themselves on it right so it was it was really nice to have that kind of alignment then as I started kind of growing up like I say there was this creditization um, and consumption kind of society that came in and it rewired the whole country and it rewired everybody and that had a clash with me and my parents because like they were like no this is how you are brought up. Yes. Um, but then at the same time, they are faced with teenagers. Yeah. I want, I need, I want it right now. Want it right now. <laughs> um, and so they then had to adapt to the environment that they're living in. And so I think for me, it was just very interesting to see that clash and to see actually this huge shift between what was at home and what was outside and then this outside influence that just came in. Um, so I think that's been very interesting to see. And then we are now starting to see with the highest debt levels in Europe, um, what that kind of process has had on the UK. So I think that's, that's something that still sticks into my mind. Very interesting because I remember the first, we've been here about maybe six months or so, and something came through the door that we could buy shares on credit. And I was just so fascinated. I was like, what? on earth chairs because yeah. <laughs> that was new to me so I, I just assumed that that was the way of britain yeah no 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 back in the day people actually if you wanted it you rented it wow oh, wow yeah <laughs> you like you would go and rent a sofa or a tv yeah. and people actually would make sure that they didn't go into credit for any essentials wow very interesting you're listening to the grow your money podcast We'll be right back after giving our partners a well-deserved shout-out. Are you struggling with debt and financial exclusion? Rooted Finance is a pioneering pan-London debt advice and financial inclusion charity, providing free money and debt advice services for over 20 years. Their team reflects the communities they serve to provide culturally appropriate services, putting you on the path towards financial freedom and resilience. Get in touch with them today to take the first steps toward getting on top of your finances. And Nina, how have you found it as an, you know, speaking now as an entrepreneur, trying, you know, being an entrepreneur in the UK, being from the States with, you know, your, your background, yeah. how has that been? It's been very um, conflicting because my business is set up to serve immigrant communities, diaspora communities specifically. And obviously we all have different stories and different financial journeys. But I think one of the common refrains that I hear from a majority of the people I speak to is this feeling of a scarcity mindset. Um, often, sometimes linked directly to the reasons why we've come to a country. So, you know, I have friends whose parents were refugees and that trauma from leaving the country and taking everything on your back and leaving, um, that stays with you. And that's kind of passed down as generational trauma, which, I mean, not to coin a new term, but is it manifests as a financial trauma. Yes. I think even with my own parents, they came as economic immigrants to the US, but very much had this scarcity mindset in that everything was, can we save even an extra penny? You know, just a little bit more. And, and it's good in the broader scope of things. It's like, well, why buy a brand name hand soap when you can just buy um, a Target or a Costco or Tesco brand hand soap, it's the same thing, right? That's fine, that's good practice, but I think that has really infected, dare I say, use that word, um, my attitude towards money, which is then conflicting with um, being an entrepreneur because you are <laughs> a bit of a scarcity mindset when you're an entrepreneur starting something on your own because there is a limited amount of resources. You know, we've had the conversation of constantly trying to find funding, raise funding to get to the next stage. Um, you're often making judgment calls. Do we 
invest in doing a bit of marketing or do we invest in tech or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think to this day, my money mindset very much colors all the decisions I make in my life. Mm -hmm. it, it colors whether I go on holiday. It colors whether I decide to get a takeout, right? So I think it's a, it's a complex one. And I'm trying to actively move myself into an abundance mindset where the money will come. Yeah. Work hard, the money will come. Obviously, it doesn't just show up magically. God, that'd be amazing. But um, it's been a journey. And I, I've had to really have conversations with myself, with my, with my family, about why is it that I feel this way all the time. Very interesting. And um, yesterday I was at an event and someone was talking about this term I've never had called uh, mindset privilege, which is definitely on reflection a thing because we don't we don't realize that our mindset is shaped by the things that we either grew up seeing. You know, Muna, you've just shared about your family always having been stringent and able to save and everything was compartmentalized. So it drives how you think. So someone who has grown up with a scarcity mindset, that's going to that's that's your default mode. And so some people have a mindset privilege because they've been brought up, you can do anything you put your mind to type of mindset. You're going to have a different trajectory from someone who's like, oh gosh, I'm a loser. I cannot do anything right, right? And it's it's a privilege that we don't ever take into account. Um so then on your journeys, what do you find are the biggest differences or the or the biggest gaps that you're finding? in terms of trying to manage money as, you know, new to country in some way, shape, or form? Maybe even not just for yourself, but maybe in Muna's case, your parents. What are those challenges or differences that you've seen on the journey? Martin? I think, I think for me, it's very much more a sense of, of ownership. I think when you come, like, going about the idea of scarcity and, uh, and abundance, very often I catch myself wondering if, to, which ex, to what extent my money is actually mine. You know, and you, you feel like, right, okay, so this month I've got a bit of, uh, you know, some, some, some spare cash, but does my cousin somewhere need it? Could I Very interesting. help my auntie out Very on this? interesting. Could I help this friend with that? And, um, and I think... Over the years, I still find myself questioning how comfortable I really am with my money being my like even saying it, I feel like it's a bit vulgar. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. yes, very so interesting. And and you know what's interesting? That's, that's something that's very unique to um, foreign cultures because I, I feel or my understanding of British culture is. Your money is your money. Like, what are you talking about? You go, you go for lunch. I remember the first time being invited for lunch and then being asked to split the bill. And I'm thinking, you called me to lunch? How are we splitting the bill? <laughs> you know? It's like, you invited me. You invited me. I had nothing to do with this decision. How am I splitting this bill with you? You know? So I think we have this, um, and just this nature of having to share, having to give and, your money is not yours alone. There's like 10 people that should be benefiting from your money. Very interesting. And how has that colored how you, you deal with money then? I think I find myself sometimes making decisions to give where perhaps naturally I, I wouldn't. And, uh, and the, my, you know, my savings discipline is quite, 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 quite affected by that. I feel like if I if I was saving it, and I know there's somebody that I would, you know, that somebody who needs a bit of it, then even if I chose to save, I would still feel that sense of guilt. Uh, should I be saving this? And am I gonna, you know, am I gonna be able to hang on to it? Because it comes off like. Karma comes around. You didn't yes, help when you, you didn't should help. have helped. And your money is going to have some very issues. Interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. It's going to come back on you. It's going to come back on you. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's very much a cultural thing. And also from that religious perspective, you know, when you've been programmed Christian, say, from childhood and all that, and, you know, give and give and give. 
uh, yeah, it takes a, a, a little while to shake it off and, um, and probably be comfortable with what is really on, at least in my experience, so I find, yeah. Very interesting. We've had a conversation like this before with Muna saying that the, the typical budgeting tools in the UK don't account for things like that. Yes, you know. Yes, you just. <laughs> yes, it's like guys. I, I mean, I had I had an incident where we HMRC literally um, wrote to us and and they they said we were breaching. You know, they, they thought we were were avoiding tax because of our giving. Um, and we had to prove that. I'm like, well, this is, is this not what happens? Like, do you guys not give? Yeah. <laughs> like, the amount that you're giving is, doesn't, it's not natural. It's, uh, what do you mean? Wow. It's yeah. just, yeah. Not to, to you. <laughs> not to you, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it not, you know? Yeah. So you're very interesting, very interesting. And, and so when you're, when you're looking at budgeting naturally, th there's a, a way that the culture is supposed to expect you to be budgeting. But you're wired and your family and your lifestyle expects you to be budgeting differently. Very interesting. And what are you finding at, at Fair Money Advice in, you know, maybe in relation to what Martin's point? I think that point is so important because I think that individualism is driven into Western society, right? So it's about look after yourself first and make sure that you're planning for your future and nobody else's future. But where we come from, actually, it's about your family, your wider community, and, and your responsibilities. And there's a level of responsibility on you to contribute to that. Mm -hmm. So we see that amongst our clients. And so when we have that conversation around, we're kind of coming up with financial plans to get people out of debt, and people don't understand that a financial commitment is sending money back home. Yeah. Yeah. And it's as important to that individual yeah. for yep. their well-being, yeah. yep. but also, even when they they are coming out of debt and they're able to kind of um, rebuild their credit, they're not being rewarded for good financial behaviour, right? Because that commitment and that that hundred dollars that they're sending every single month is a clear sign that they have that surplus income and that they can budget for it and that they are making a good financial commitment. They're not rewarded for it through the credit referencing agency. But I think the other point that I I wanted to kind of just from my family's perspective, I think, and from what I've seen within the Somali community, and I'm sure it happens across other communities, is that sense of, is this my home? So is this where I make my financial investment? <coughs> and Absolutely. the sense of attachment. Absolutely. So there's an attachment to back home. Okay. And I think that happens from the first generations that came along. Um, but that's changing amongst the diaspora because we recognize that actually, this is our home, right? Mm -hmm. If you're born here, if you're, you've grown up here, you have an investment here. Um, and I think there's a, there's, a, there's a shift happening around where our investments are, where our assets are, but also taking into consideration where we have surplus, and sometimes it does affect our own savings, mm -hmm. um, and where our commitments are back home and with family. But that shift around assets and investments, I think, is something that's so powerful, yeah. that's untapped. And I think it's an opportunity for the the diaspora community to really kind of flex their financial muscle. Um, and I think it's something that we can start to kind of help through the Grow Your Money Challenge, but also ensuring that as people are going through a financial difficult period, we really start to get them to think about, well, what's the next phase? How do you get back into financial inclusion? And what are your aspirations? Because um, we're finding the younger generation are here, they're not going anywhere. Um, and they need to start thinking about what their long-term financial futures are here. If I can add to that, I think um, as an American citizen, I have this very interesting dynamic where I can't invest with certain platforms, for example, um, because of FATCA, which is a piece of legislation, which effectively means that that investment platform would have to open up their books to the IRS, which no one wants to do. All right, fine. So it's a tax issue, right? Um, and so there's typically the large businesses, Hargreaves Lansdowne, Vanguard, that I can open an account with. But a lot of the fintech companies that make it really easy to invest with 50 pounds or whatever, I, I struggle to open an account. And I was thinking through this today because actually, as an American citizen, I'm also um, liable for taxation on my British investments. So my pension, for example, that I've been paying into for the past, what, almost 10 years, 
could be clawed at by the IRS and the US. So that question of like, where do I invest? Where yeah. do I want my assets to be? Where is home is yeah. a very, not just an existential yeah. question, but a financial question. And the other thing that I think, speaking of pensions, I was thinking about as, as an immigrant, as an immigrant child or a member of a diaspora community is, I don't know about any of you, but you know, my mother is increasingly going back to Taiwan more and more. Um, one of my really dear friends, Sarah, her mother is constantly going back to Hargeisa. And even though Sarah's mother, for example, has been in London for most of her life now, Hargeisa is still home. Yeah. And there's an interesting, almost like repatriation as people age, they retire and want to go back home. And yeah. they, we see interesting flows of remittances where actually someone's bought a plot of land, they're buying a house, and now they're gonna retire at home. But then on the flip side, so that again, question of where is home? Can you bring that money with you? Can you bring your pension yeah. with you? But also, I think in a lot of global South communities, this idea of us being responsible for our parents. So I am my parents' pension, yeah. you know? Like, we are the retirement plan. Exactly, it's like, what retirement plan? Like, you're my retirement I had plan. children. Yes, what did I raise you for, if not for you to take care of me? And so that is a very interesting dynamic and what, something we think about a lot at Blue Money, where it's like, okay, so my parents haven't been paying into their pension or maybe they've the bare minimum in, um, even though, you know, oftentimes mum is not working. Yeah. So now we're responsible for mum and dad. And that, and how do you, as like a young person today, you're like, right, I've got to pay into my pension, my savings. Now I'm going to take over sending remittances home. And now I also have to take care of mum and dad. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it just, there's all these additional layers, which make for a very beautiful, rich life, but <laughs> A slightly complex, uh, a more complex financial uh, life, sadly. Absolutely. That's so interesting. You said that about like, you're the pension plan. I remember when we were getting married and we had all these plans for our wedding. We're like, yeah, we're having so many guests and this and this. And our parents were like, what do you mean? You get to do that when you have your children. This wedding's ours. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, we do. Yeah. It's my day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, you, you want how many guests? Yeah. Uh, no. You oh do that when gosh. you have your own children. Yes. That's your party. This is, is our party. party. Yeah, this, is, no, this is ours. <laughs> and it, it, I think it, it affects how you approach everything, isn't it? How you approach relationships. So when I'm, when I'm relationship building, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to you know, create a relationship. I'm expecting us to be closer. I'm calling you in. I'm hugging you. And yet, because that's the community type of way that, I show you that I like you and I see you. Yeah. Whereas here, it's very different stuff. And, and you have to navigate all that, right? It's like, how are you? So if you, if you give me your hand, does that mean you like me? Do, what are we, where are we? Where, where do we stand? And for me, I find that I'm always having to say, come over to my house. That means that I've, I've validated you enough to say, I like you enough to come home, right? So it's, it's very funny and different. And how are you finding that at Bloom Money? Because just talk to us a bit about that piece, because that that's a very, very, awesome and interesting product, um, especially because it, it just speaks to what we are saying around this concept of how much of my money is my money. I just, I just like how you put it, Martin. How much of my money is my money and, and then your product at Bloom. Um, so how does that play out? It's, an, it's a very interesting dynamic and I was nodding furiously when Martin was saying how much of my money is my money. And I think we, as diaspora have such a complex relationship that building boundaries can be very difficult, healthy boundaries. It's very difficult to have that conversation to say, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, like, is this a real valid request? Is someone ill at home yeah. or are you, or am I being taken advantage of? And yes, in our research, a majority of the people said they felt like ATM. You're listening to the Grow Your Money podcast. We'll be right back after giving our partners a well-deserved shout out. 
Calling all partners, join the Grow Your Money Challenge. We're excited to present our incredible sponsors who believe in empowering individuals and communities on their financial journey. Discover their services and join us in creating a brighter financial future. Featuring the Royal Bank of Scotland, your trusted banking partner with a rich heritage and comprehensive financial services. Explore their online banking at www.rbs.co.uk. Gift Round, make group gifting a breeze. Celebrate special occasions together with colleagues, friends, and family. Create a gift round at giftround.co.uk and show your appreciation. Radiance and Brighter, promoting diversity and economic participation in migrant communities. Get involved with their innovative practices at radianceandbrighter.com. Rooted Finance, struggling with debt or financial exclusion? Rooted Finance provides free money and debt advice services to put you on the path to financial freedom. Join the Grow Your Money Challenge in this transformative journey toward financial growth and resilience. Visit moneymatics.com to get involved today. Diaspora, they feel like they're constantly sending money home. Absolutely. And so at Bloom, just for context, our product is called Bloom Circles. It's a digital version of something many global South cultures have. So we've talked about sacos, we've talked about hegvad, ayuto, I know it as chit um, or hui in my cultures, harambe, um, chama in Swahili, so many different names for this. But isn't it so interesting in the global south, in Latin America, in Asia, in Middle East, the whole idea is people get together and it's a savings group together. Um, and the reason that I think that speaks to me is it kind of flies in the face of, of this conversation we've been having of is it my money, but flips it on its head and actually what can we as a community do together? Can we increase our affordability, increase, increase our economic power one at a time so that we all benefit? Um, this is something that I watched my grandparents do. It's something that I've seen all, I live in Lewisham in London, so I see it all around me. And the more people I meet, the more I, I see other people and they say, oh, in my culture, we call it this. And, Really what we're doing at Bloom is bringing it into the 21st century and making it into an easy, safe to use app. But to your point about um, behaviors that aren't recognized by the financial system, like sending money home. Similarly, I know so many people who are in these groups doing them in cash yeah. in the UK. Mm -hmm. And that's a positive, you know, you're putting 100 pounds into a pot every month. You're putting 200, 300. I know, you know, the Somalis are, have got it on lock, a thousand pounds in, you know, like the circle buy-in is high. And so that's positive financial behavior. Why aren't we rewarding it? And so that's, that's our starting point at Bloom. Um, it's kind of flipping the financial system on its head because it is very binary in the UK. It, in the Western world, it's very me and my money and and like I have a relationship with the bank and the bank will decide if I can get a loan. But actually community has been there since day one for so yeah. many of us. So Absolutely. can we lean on the community more? Absolutely. And I think that's the, that's the same strand on, you know, with the Grow Your Money Challenge. It's we can start from the center, but all of us as a community can do so much more together. We can share resources. We can understand. We can unpack these things together and do it for good, you know, um, and it's just it's fascinating to hear. So sticking with you then, um, Nina, when you think about now your journey as an entrepreneur and having the circles dealing with the communities and how do you balance that out with, with having to conform to regulation, to, you know, being oh. an entrepreneur, oh. and then yes, this yes. very... How much time do you have? <laughs> um, I think when I set out to start Bloom and, you know, we all tangentially work in financial services, right? So we know the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, for those that are not familiar, um, is not someone that you play around with. <laughs> they, they call their a sandbox. You're not playing. You're not there to play. Um, I think the hardest hurdle to jump over was this idea, again, of the binary in Western world, mm -hmm. where the bank will assess you and then decide what you can have or can't have. Um, and this idea of anything community-led, unless specifically it's a credit union, I think is like, or a building society is the closest thing that we have, um, is very foreign. 
quite literally, <laughs> to a lot of people, whether it's the regulator or to investors when I was pitching them. And so what we've done is really have to be innovative about our approach to it. We are now regulated, um, but it took a lot of hoops. It took a lot of breaking down of stereotypes to your point of HMRC ringing you up and saying, there's an abnormal amount of money leaving your account. It's the same thing where, you know, a lot of borderline racist, xenophobic questions were asked about our customer base, who are they, where are they yeah. sending the money, what are they doing with it, yeah. where is the money coming from, lots of things. All valid questions, but I think it was worth it because being regulated by the FCA is, is such a stamp, you know, in the UK. It absolutely is. And, and hopefully will reassure people that we are very much taking their money seriously. Mm -hmm. um, but it was not a walk yeah, in the park. Yeah. At um, all. On the questions, the one that normally gets me is, do they have mobile phones? Oh. Like, uh, let's see, do they? Oh, <laughs> no, my favorite they was... Have someone in another country, so I think that would be very high on the priority list, but what are you Do thinking? they know how to use them? Do they know how to use the phone? Have you heard of Impesa? Do you know how advanced they are? <laughs> yeah, mobile phone banking? <laughs> oh, my favorite was, um, but people of color are poor. And I was like... Sorry? <laughs> Could you just repeat that again? Yeah. So it's been a journey, but yes. uh, do credit to the FCA. They were very patient, very open to hearing how things are done. And after, you know, the beautiful thing is if you plant the seed in someone's head, it will grow. Um, and so I had people from the FCA coming back and be like, oh, I was talking with my Uber driver. Or I was talking with this person and they're, they're doing it. And yes. I was like, I'm telling you, you it's it, all it, around it, you. Yeah. You just have to look. You just have to look, absolutely. Um, and then, so sticking with that theme then, how important has it been for you to, I don't want to use the word integrate, but to know people on this journey? Because I remember like when I was, you know, starting out Manimatics, even today, it's just hard to try and align yourself in a certain way because you, you bring something that's not a typical concept, how important is your network and your, you know, the people that are around you in understanding or approaching money when you're new, you know, new to country? Martin, you'd be a good one for this one with <laughs> your duo. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I take it in two ways. I think I've, I've realized the cash value of trust. And I see that in both ways, because when I first came to live in Scotland in my adult life, I, I've, 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 I watched a few of my friends trying to do the circle thing yeah. and they would collect cash and have weekly meetings and then they would, you know, pass the, you know, the basket around or something like yeah. that. They would do that thing. And oftentimes it fell apart because, you know, somebody stopped chipping in or somebody mm -hmm. did this and didn't pay back or something like that. Now, on the other side, I look at my friends whom I came up with in school in Uganda, <laughs> and they've made a successful business model around this. As a class, they come together, become a circle, and they collect money, and they are investing in real estate, and actually running real credible businesses. And, and I, I've got so much respect for that, because it shows that they, they have that trust that enables every, you know, to enable the enterprise to carry through. And, and similarly, in the Western world where our migrant communities are succeeding with that, it's purely on trust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel that's, that's been my, my, my major takeaway because I am quite deficient on trust when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. I think I've uh, I found myself in positions where I think my resources could have been treated with a bit more respect from people that I ought to have trusted the most. Mm -hmm. And so I do not, I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm quite inhibited in the extent to which I subscribe to the communal savings mm -hmm. uh, theory, yeah. So an attitude, an attitude uh, matter, but I, I like what you've said about the cash value of your trust. Mm -hmm. Would it not be so cool if you could have a credit score 
best. Yeah, <laughs> like quantify it. Yeah, yeah. right. Somebody researching. Yes, yeah. absolutely. This person's yeah. behavior. They say they are going to do what they yeah. do. They're giving to a mosque, a church, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so these things give them this score of trust and this because it is a valuable thing and had to come by we're when working on it watch this face <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna say if anyone can do it absolutely what about you muna i think it's interesting because um obviously the savings clubs i grew up around them yes. and i think nowadays they are harder to maintain yes. so the somali community does have it on lockdown but even them they are much more tied to your kind of kin, your tribe, your tribe yeah. um, people you knew from back in the day. So it, it's, a, it's a bit of a closed shop. Mm -hmm. So if you're not part of that kind of circle, then what do you do? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have those ties. And I think it comes from the fact that the circumstances here are such that people are a bit more disparate. So the close connection isn't there. So I think something like Bloom is amazing because it allows people who, and we had, have had lots of conversations about mm. this, but I think it allows people who are younger, people who don't have that family connection abroad and who can't get into those circles to really access that whole community approach mm. in a safe environment that's regulated. And that can also then hopefully some of the development that you're doing reintegrate you or integrate you for the first time into the kind of financial services sector yeah. of the host country that you're in or the, the country that you're, you're you're residing in i think for our clients i think there are some issues around information mm -hmm. and misinformation within the community <laughs> and that's something that drives me insane how many times has it been forwarded on whatsapp <laughs> and you're like oh no so it's like <laughs> The WhatsApp groups and the aunties on WhatsApp. Oh, the aunties! <laughs> need to put the phones down because the amount of people they've got into financial difficulty is off the scale. They're like, buy it. They won't ask for yeah. the money back. Do it. <laughs> or just, you know, I've the financial fraud schemes that they've got people involved in, oh. passing around uh, malware and yeah. links to financial scams. <laughs> That and so, so funny. <laughs> the, aunties, <laughs> the aunties need to be stopped. Yes. The aunties need to put and the phone down. There could be some uncles doing it. Yes. Yes. Uncles yeah. too, yeah. definitely. Yes, 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 yes. To be fair, yeah, to, to be, be fair, fair, to be yeah. fair. It's the aunties and the uncles. Go around. <laughs> we have this saying in Somali that you have Halimos and Faras, right? Yeah. So which are like the older yes. male and female equivalent aunts and uncles. So yeah. they need to be stopped. <laughs> um, and so lots of our clients come in with things that they've heard or they've been advised to do. Um, one of the biggest bugbears that we had a few years back was the guarantor loans oh, yes. to people like Amigo and others who are in this space and people being pressurized mm -hmm. who are in yes. good financial situations yes. to guarantor loans for family members um, and then not realizing that actually those you're things. The you're the one who's you're the one, who's one who takes on the liability and because of that family connection yeah um so that's been something that we've had to kind of make sure the community is very aware of um there are issues around payday loans and the whole payday loan there's free money as it was put onto whatsapp groups there's access to easy money and those types of things so i think misinformation education ensuring that financial literacy and education is something that our communities are showered with mm -hmm. in the same easy ways that misinformation comes along. Yes. So I need a WhatsApp guru yes. to, to be able to kind of disseminate all of that and ensure that people are, are getting the right advice and support around their finances as opposed to the scammers and the, the dodgy mm. dealers. COVID was a good example that the, the, the fastness of information and varying experts experts just come up in minutes it's like who are you are you a doctor like we don't yeah. seem to check our sources it was uh, and it that's was just quite crazy the first few months of COVID, yeah. people would just come up with all sorts of theories and of cures of cures oh my <laughs> my dad was like you just need to have ginger tea with turmeric and you're going to be fine i was like yeah. 
Dad, do we? <laughs> vitamin D. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just take lots of vitamin D. You'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's like I think we need, and, and you're quite right. And it's back to the community thing. Auntie and uncle cannot be telling me something wrong. It's, yes, it's auntie. It's, it's a that trust thing. The trust yeah, is so, yeah. it's ingrained. So she can't be telling me something wrong. If she's telling me to sign up for this, surely it's fine. Mm. If she wants me to guarantee her a loan, it's fine. Yeah. But we need to start questioning a bit more, like our sources on that. Absolutely. I remember once um, one of my aunties um, sent me a message. She had received um, a leaflet or something about uh, a seminar on some investment product or another. And these guys were conducting a Zoom, a Zoom meeting. She read it and she wasn't very comfortable about it, but she checked in with me and was like, could you, you know, link in with these people, see what they're all about? It turned out to be the biggest scam that I would ever have seen. <laughs> Literally, these guys were on Zoom advising their audience that they are a British bank, that they have offices in London, that's where their headquarters are, they are zooming in from West Africa, oh. and, and the, the audience seemed hooked. And I struggled with this Zoom session because it wasn't allowing for anyone to make comments. Yeah, um, yeah by the time I logged off, I thought, this is how it happens. Yes, you know, people make hard. up a whole, they, they were a registered company, so they had a, a company registered in London at some address. Oh, but looking at the listed banks in the UK, they definitely want a bank. Yeah. But they were selling that and saying, oh, we are a bank, we have a website, yeah. we, we are this and that. So it, it looked like, yeah, people yeah. were willing to trust that. On that note, though, I, I hope you don't mind me asking, you know, is it, how do we dismantle that? Because I think about the fact that there is a lot of information out there some that is vetted, we try to put out vetted, you know, information for people. Is it translating it into more languages so that it's accessible in that language? Is it educating our elders in the community, whether that's, you know, I'm going to the mom? Yes, please. You know what they say, once bitten, twice shy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Better for some people to learn from experience. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> no, not to be controversial. We can't advocate that. <laughs> but it was like, no, I no. I think this is just making more work. No, why not? Not to be terribly selfish, but this is my logic. People get into these situations and then they are embarrassed to speak out about them. So when they make these big losses or they make these unwise financial decisions because of some influence or another, they'll take that experience and keep it to themselves. But if we have more people who've gone through that scam, that link that they shouldn't have clicked on, that reference from uncle this or auntie that, and they've been bitten by it, that sharing of a real life experience from somebody relatable could be the key to unlocking this wall you know, mystery around how we always end up trusting the wrong sources. I love that. But the problem is people, people internalize it, like you say. And what tends to happen is people feel ashamed. They think they did something wrong. Yes. And if we could tap into, actually, who are the trusted sources? Mm. So in this case, we're, we're mentioning aunties and uncles. But if we could tap into those trusted sources, if we could get the information out, in the community languages, but also making sure that we're, we're, we're reaching the older communities, the younger communities, yep. yes. um, and also informing financial services on actually how they interact with our communities and the, the types of products that they design are relevant to them. So they're not always looking for that additional scam because they look like they provide something that meets their needs. So really working with financial services to ensure that they are responsive and that they have a role to play in actually ensuring that they are as inclusive to our communities as they should be. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. how, so do do, how do you manage that though without um, making people feel like you are the knowledgeable one and you are 
lecturing them. It's so hard. And that's what we struggle with because we tend to not use the word education. We, mm. we try and it's yeah. about language. Yeah. Yeah. It's about who goes and delivers the message. Yeah. So we wouldn't say we're the experts. Yeah. We, mm. we try and kind of have people who have used our service, like you say, yes. and who have um, kind of got to a point where they feel comfortable enough to share their story, mm -hmm. but also feel a sense of responsibility to be able to disseminate that information. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes from somebody who's been through that process, it's a totally different landing of mm -hmm. that message. Can you say any support groups for people who've gone through those scams or things like that? <laughs> Because I think there's a resource there from experience for people who've gone through those experiences yeah. to perhaps yeah. be more. I think it's the culturally appropriate one though. Because I mean, The Guardian was doing tons of reporting on these scams yeah. recently, mm -hmm. but it's, it's interesting, even I think within our communities, we already don't talk about money. Yeah. The, I mean, that's the one thing that we haven't said is, yes. we don't talk about money in a lot of our communities. Yeah. And so there's an additional shame. So it almost have to be like, okay, this is a tribe that I really, really trust with my life that I will never, like, this will not get outside of these doors or, like, maybe at church, maybe at mosque or something. I, we very much at Bloom try and work with community leaders, faith leaders, yes. where they have that trust. Yes. But it's, there's no silver bullet. Sadly. There's no silver bullet, no. absolutely. Because I was going to say it's about um, normalizing conversations, normalizing failure is extremely important and we have we don't do that very well we don't we shout about all the winning and that but if we start talking about my goodness that band you know talk about it more and normalize it and how we react when someone gets burnt is important as well so we need to do that and then have the aunties and uncles owning up to failing sometimes so you sent out a scam to 10 whatsapp groups it's turned out wrong send a message to say guys i'm really sorry that link actually I found out isn't working. And it's about those subtle education points mm -hmm. and normalizing the fact that we are all human. Yeah. One, I'm going to fail one or two times. So yeah. guys, that burnt me. And also talking about it isn't airing your dirty laundry, right? Yeah. So we internalize so much in our yeah. communities to say that, okay, what happens within your family group yeah. stays within your family yeah. group. But actually by sharing those experiences, it benefits everybody. And Absolutely. it's not kind of, um, yeah, you're not stepping outside of your boundaries. And I think the boundaries question is a massive one. Um, but also ensuring that we're able to kind of have those conversations, normalizing them and talking about money. We just, we only talk about money when things have gone wrong mm -hmm. and never in the sense of actually money is the catalyst for yes. most things that you want to do in your life. So why shouldn't it be at the center of a lot of the conversations that are happening? Um, and so, yeah, it's always when something's gone wrong that we talk about it. Wow. Thank you so much. That's been awesome. To wrap up, could you each tell me one resource you found very helpful on your journey with money in the UK? You know, because that was one thing I remember coming and, and just not understanding how no one trusted me. You know, back to the trust thing. I was like, how can I prove to these people that I'm good? that I'm not going to cheat anyone, you know? What resource, what's the one thing that you've, you've used um, that you found very helpful? It can be anything at all, an app or an auntie. <laughs> anyone? I think what I did for myself, I, I went to business school. <laughs> it was a long-term investment. I went to university and I read business and, um, and it's, it's helped me have a more rounded view of all different segments of finance and investment savings and and all that so yeah i i couldn't i couldn't pick any other thing that was more profoundly impactful than that yeah very interesting and that will resonate with the community uh mm. because our communities are typically very high achievers so basically what you're telling us is to go and get a degree in business yeah. <laughs> back to education education yes one way or another it comes back to, to, to it pays back it does pay back yeah. nice one yeah. Mona um interestingly when I was growing up there was not many aids like I said yeah. if you wanted to learn something you went to the library pulled out a reference book um but I think there's so many tools online now 
that can be such a great source. So if you are coming from the space of understanding the basics, I would recommend the Money Advice and Pension Services Money Helper uh, website where you've got loads of tools, yeah. guides, etc. that can kind of get you up to speed. Um, I think the place to start if you want to kind of improve your financial situation is to think about your credit rating yeah. <laughs> and credit scoring and how that works. And so you may have a thin file you don't have any footprint, how you improve that. You may have had a bad file and you want to improve it. So I would focus on understanding the credit rating, credit scoring. Um, and I, I always explain it to people when I'm talking about our communities and how important it is for them to understand that it's like your reputation back home, right? Mm -hmm. Your name gets you into places. Yes. Yeah. In the West, your credit scoring gets you into places. Absolutely. That is a good way to So for 100%, I would start there. Absolutely. That is so true. Your, your credit rating gets you into places yeah. Yeah. or kicks you out. Exactly. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yes. Nina? Um, for me, well, I can shamelessly plug Money Maddox <laughs> and the Bloom Money Learning Hub and um, fair, you know, fair Finance and everything. Um, I think... What was the resource? The resource that I really drew on myself was to be transparent about my own money situation and talk about it with a person I trusted. Yeah. Um, and this is helpful in everything from not just like, wait, how much are you putting in your pension? <laughs> to um, when I was finally open with some girlfriends about what, what are we all earning and should we be asking for more, right? Um, and the reason I say it's that I, I refer to transparency as a resource here because it is not natural for us to talk about yes. money. Even in British culture, it's not yes. natural to talk about money. Um, but I think that's to our detriment. And yes. so if you can find one person, one person that you trust, mm -hmm. and you go into it openly and say, right, this is what I'm dealing with, or, hey, I'm in debt, you know? And just yes. sometimes a, a problem shared is a problem solved, right? So um, that's really what helped me to get to grips with the UK and the financial system here. Wow. Thank you all so much. You've been amazing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Money podcast. If you're looking to take actionable steps toward achieving your financial goals, visit moneymatex.com. That is money, M-A-T-I-X.com. And join our free Grow Your Money challenge. Let's unite in the movement to inspire people to talk about money. Thank you for being a part of our community. We'll see you in the next episode.